Good evening, y'all. Uh, it's good to be with you. Today's a wild day. It's an election day. Um, we'll maybe say a word or two about that in the sermons tonight. But I want to start um, on the refrigerator at my house right now are two Christmas lists already. Some of you are cringing, I know. But each of my daughters has already taped like a Christmas list to our fridge. Uh, my son's a little bit older, and I think he does his on Amazon. I'm not sure how updated it is. Um, and if we have pictures of them, that'd be great to show them. But uh, so I'm just going to read one of them first. This is from my oldest daughter. Um, her first thing on her list is a cookbook. That's number one. Number two is a Grace House Lego set. I don't know what that is, but I'll find out. Three is an iPod Touch. There you go. Uh, because they know we're not getting them phones for a long time. So I think she's got a touch on there. Uh, four, craft and drawing kit, then a bike, clothes, books. I love that my, one of my daughters is just like, any books are fine, that's great. Um, an Amazon gift card, Our Generation or American Girl doll, stuffed animal Bernice, puppy is next, uh, stuffed animal wolf or fox, and then she says 13 is lots of snow, and 14 is a watercolor set. And at the bottom of the page she goes, these are not in order, which I think is rad. Like she knows that maybe in the past we've purchased something from the top of the list and she's like, just in case, you know, I think that gives her permission to like reprioritize or something, right? Um, so that's like my daughter, my oldest daughter's list. And my youngest daughter's list um, is a little bit um, less item, has a little bit less items on there. And you can kind of tell a little bit about her. I think my older daughter did hers first. And my second daughter was like, those are some good ideas. So my younger one says a Luciana Lego set, a $100 Amazon gift card. So like, I think she saw the gift card and was like, that ain't good enough. <laughs> you know, $100, uh, she's shooting high. Uh, a purple Canon camera. Um, a stuffed animal wolf, a teacup that comes with a plate, a cookbook, a craft and drawing set, and lots of snow. So she wrote lots of snow too. And my favorite thing on this list, by far, my favorite thing on this list, it's like a no-brainer for me, it's lots of snow. That's like my favorite thing. Like, like they're writing lots of snow on this Christmas list. It tells me that they did not think about what's possible before they put this list together. You know what I mean? Like they didn't think like, what can mommy and daddy get us? They were like, we're making a Christmas list. We want snow, we're gonna put snow on it. I just love that. They just put what they want. Like they weren't holding back. They literally put what they want. I mean, maybe Audrey would have written like a thousand dollar Amazon gift card or something. I don't really know, but, um, but they were shooting for the moon on some of these things. They're literally asking just for what they want. Like asking for what you want is, something that kids just do naturally like i've got three kids and i, I swear to you guys they ask for anything they even if they know that we're not going to do stuff i have these conversations with my kids sometimes where i say word for word why are you asking me that you know what i'm going to say and they're like you know like just they just ask for what they want and the question i have tonight in light of our passage is why is it so difficult for us why is something that seems so natural for us to do as kids, we ask for what we want? Why, as we get older with where we are now, why is it so difficult for so many of us to ask for what we want? In our passage tonight, Jesus simply tells us to ask. It's a great summary of this whole passage. Ask. Over and over again, ask. Ask, seek, and knock. And it turns out it's not as easy as it seems. Lord Jesus, may the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So tonight's passage is about asking, 
But, um, and I, I wasn't originally going to pay much attention to uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. I encourage you to look at it if you've got it open. Um, I wasn't originally going to pay much attention to that uh, in this passage, but in light of the election and in light of this summary, so Jesus, and this isn't the only time this happens, this happens a number of times in the gospel accounts, but Jesus summarizes all of the law and the prophets which is like what we would call the Old Testament, right? Jesus is talking about his kingdom and he's summarizing the whole thing with, uh, you know, do unto others what you would want them to do unto you. Depends on your translation. Whatever you wish people would do to you, do unto them. That's how he summarizes the whole thing. You wanna know what this whole thing is about? It's how you treat each other. This whole thing is about how you live together. This whole thing, it turns out, Jesus doesn't say the summary of the whole law and the prophets is how you get to heaven. You guys just stink, and so I have to tell you more things. That's not what he says. The summary of the whole law and the prophets is, is, is that we love our neighbors as ourselves. In this passage, this is what Jesus says. And there's a sense in which everything that Jesus is teaching in this sermon is about how we treat each other. And, and some of these things are obvious to us. Jesus has these teachings on anger and lust and, and meaning what we say in Matthew chapter five, or, or we just um, have heard in the last couple of weeks about like judgment. And maybe that's an easy one. Anxiety might be a little trickier. There's, there is, is there a way in which if we trust God and stop living in anxiety about the future, that it would be beneficial for how we treat each other? Maybe. Don't we all know by now how, how anxiety narrows our focus and makes it harder for us to be generous? Don't we notice that? In this passage today, this is what I was thinking about most of the day. How, Lord Jesus, does me asking you for the desires of my heart, how is that in some way about how I treat others? And I wanna spend most of our time tonight talking about asking. I just, in light of the cultural moment, I don't wanna miss this, okay? Because this is, this is pretty freaking huge. But I started thinking like, okay, if uh, Reed really has like a desire for me, because I think in, a, in the modern sort of post-American, post-modernist West, everything we read in the Bible is like this hyper-personal, individualistic nar story, narrative. Um, but, but, and so when we talk about asking for what you want, most of us immediately, self-included, go to what do I want for Christmas, you know, or something, right? But what about like if Reed wants something for my life? Like, what if one of the things Reed wants as she's thinking about the world is something for me? What if some of the things you want have to do with our presidential candidates? What if you don't just want like a treat, but what if what you want is to see change in the world? And I started thinking like, how powerful is it that in God's kingdom, Jesus's instruction is whatever you want, ask. And what would it look like if an entire kingdom of people this is the picture Jesus is putting before us. If an entire kingdom of people, when they wanted to see change, get this, they don't do it from the top down. When they want to see change, they, they surrender power. That they go under others and make requests. What if when I wanted to see change in your life, I said, would it be okay if? What if I said, can I help you? rather than I just assume I already know all of the things to help you. And then I come and I just do the things that I want to do in and with your life. What if God's kingdom was marked by people who asked all the time that what they want, what they sought and what they wanted into, they made requests. You see in the kingdom of God, this is an image Jesus is lifting up before us in his kingdom, people, his citizens are marked by this posture of requesting, of asking. 
And it's such a humble posture. It immediately invokes relationship. Don't you know, like requesting is so powerful that when somebody asks you something, it immediately puts you in a relationship with them, immediately. And it's interesting because when they ask you something, it actually puts you in the position of power. Jason, can I help you with something? And I'm immediately stuck. Like if I just walk away, I've violated some kind of creation rules of relationships and they'll, they'll feel an injustice. Like I must respond, you know, it's so interesting. And I, I think there's something about this lifted up. What if when we wanted to see change, if we wanted, if we had desires for others, for the world, what if we asked? Is this one of the ways that God invites us to leverage our influence in the whole of creation in partnership with him? Because when I think about this, if I go, how do I want you to treat me? This is what Jesus invites us to consider. If you have a desire for me, what I would love isn't for your desires to just automatically happen in my life. I would actually love it if you would go to God first uh, and because he loves me better than you and better than I even do. Um, and he knows what's good for me and for you. And, and what would it look like if when you had a desire for me, you partnered with God, you cooperated with him for my good? I think that's actually what I would want. And so why don't I do that for you too? I don't wanna miss this right now because right at this very moment in our culture, many of us are hopped up with our desires and our ideas of change and our ideas of what would work. And, I, and in Jesus, for followers of Jesus, our command is to make requests. In the kingdom of God, requests just litter the horizon. We are people who ask. Okay, that's not the main point tonight. I just don't want to miss that because that is a huge deal in the midst of this cultural moment. Okay, in the kingdom of God, people ask a lot. Are you, are you with me? Like, I, I don't have you in the room, so I don't know about head nods, but like for like the three of you that are on Zoom, but I just nod to yourself. That'd be great. That'd make me feel better. Okay, um, so in the kingdom of God, people ask a lot. They give power away and they enter into relationships with others through asking. So my question, once again, before we prayed, same thing. Why don't we ask then? Why is it so hard for us to ask? One of the most powerful experiences I've had in pastoral ministry happened for me just a few years ago, just over here to my right. This is uh, the hub. We're in this place called the hub. It's like a, for those of you who don't know, it's like a converted coffee shop kind of space. That's a third place kind of for students to hang out with and for our staff to hang out with people in. And I was sitting at a table right over here, having a conversation um, with a college student. And I simply asked her at one point in this conversation, I said, what do you want? She just looked at me, kind of curious at first and, and silent. I think she was waiting for like a follow-up. So I said, what do you want? She just kept staring at me in silence. And then her eyes started to fill with water and tears just started pouring down both of her cheeks. All I did was I asked her what she wanted. The question is so vulnerable. What do you want? Making our desires known maybe even to ourselves, it opens up like vulnerability in us. And Jesus in our passage tonight pushes this all the way. I mean, he just pushes this so far forward in his invitation or his command. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. It's so interesting because he doesn't even just command us to do it. He promises responses and rewards. Ask and it will be given. That's what he says. And it strikes me that, that Jesus is saying this because we don't ask, which is a really basic principle of interpretation, right? When a writer in the New Testament, which we may talk about in a couple of weeks, says, be grateful always. You don't need to say that if everybody's always being grateful. You're, they're only saying it because we aren't grateful a lot. 
When three different books in the New Testament have authors that say, stop grumbling and complaining. This is tearing apart communities. Literally three books in the Bible in the New Testament have extended sections on how, how horrible it is for our unity and our community to grumble and to complain, right? They're saying that because we struggle with this. That's why it's not empty words. There's communities 2000 years ago, just like today, where we are prone to grumble and complain and not be grateful. When Jesus says ask, he's saying it because we don't ask. The sentence in my head all day has been so many prayers never get prayed. So many prayers never get prayed. So many desires and hopes and things we seek after and want to be led into never get said. This happens all the time in our relationships with one another. We want to be good, we want to be good friends with someone, but we never tell them. We like someone, but we never ask them on a date. We want to be invited somewhere, but we don't ask if we can come. We don't ask, right? But, but apparently, according to Jesus, this isn't just a problem in our relationships to each other. We don't ask God for what we want either. So many prayers go unprayed. Instead, they just roll around in our heads or in our hearts. We think about them. We lay in bed at night toiling over them, but we, they never get out. Next week, we're gonna have a worship service out on Chamberlain Field and um, and we really needed a bass player like for, for this particular event. And, uh, and I had this particular person in my mind <laughs> and I kept thinking about asking this person for like 20, more than 24 hours. I kept going like, what about Zach? What about Zach? What about Zach? And I was like, man, I don't know if I should ask Zach because it's 2020 and nobody does, nobody wants to do anything extra in 2020. Like everybody's fatigued and exhausted and you know, and like, and I've got all these reasons. I mean, I could give you like 20, probably 20, close to maybe 15, I might be exaggerating, but probably 15 at least reasons why maybe it's not a good idea to ask Zach. You know, I kept thinking about him, but, but I didn't really ask him. Of course, when I did ask him, you know what he said? He said, three days ago, I started thinking about this thing. It's been like three years and I really have been praying for the Lord to like give me an opportunity. And it was literally to, to like help out in a worship context. And after three years, he just started praying about this three days ago. So he started asking three days ago. And then I, it was in my head. Of course, nothing happens when it's just in your head if you don't get it out. Of course not. But when I got it out, something beautiful happened. But that's so common. It's just a bass player. That's not even that vulnerable of a thing to ask. But I was like afraid to get it out. We do this all the time. How many of us do this sort of thing with our prayers? We can maybe name some of our desires but we never actually get around to asking for them. We have things that we seek. We have things that we want uh, to, to have. We have things we want to be led into, even into the kingdom of God. And we think about them in our heads, right? We ponder them in our hearts, but we never bring them to the Lord in prayer. And I suspect that we do it. I don't do this often, but I'm gonna give you three reasons. So if you want bullet points, if you like them, take advantage. It's the only time all year I'm gonna give you bullet points. Okay, then I'll probably complicate them. But here's the three. The first, why don't we ask first? And I think maybe this is the biggest reason in our culture today is that we don't, uh, we don't ask for the desires of our heart because we don't know them. I think that might be the biggest. How can you ask for what you don't even know? This happens to me all the time. Somebody's like, hey, how can I pray for you? And I'm like, duh. And I realize I, I don't have any clue. I don't have any clue. These desires just sit below the surface, right? And maybe because they make us feel so vulnerable, we're scared of them. 
We distract ourselves from them. We may even go an entire day without five minutes of cumulative silence with ourselves because we're so scared of what's below the surface. Friends, your Father in heaven delights to give you good gifts. Spend time discovering what it is that you want and bring your desires to him because you cannot ask for what you don't even know you want. I think another reason we don't ask is because we think our desires are too petty, that they don't really matter, right? Or maybe you even think that if you have to ask, then it means you don't have enough faith. Like maybe you, maybe for some reason you believe that. Like if I have to ask, maybe that means I don't have enough faith, maybe. Maybe you've been taught that there are certain ways to pray that are better than other ways to pray. And so like, it's, it's better to pray for somebody else than to pray for my own desires. God doesn't hear you because you know how to pray well. He hears you because he loves you. Just tell him what you want, friends. This is Jesus's instruction. Literally just tell God what you want. You have it on Jesus's word that you uh, should bring all of your desires to the father and simply ask him for what you want. If I don't think that my daughter's wanting snow or Lego sets or stuffed animals are too petty. On the contrary, it like fills my heart to know their desires, friends. When I see their Christmas list, there's nothing on that list that, that makes me go, that's too petty or too much. And if that's possible for me, and I'm not God, I've got sin issues, I've got ego issues, all sorts of things. And, and though God is redemptively working this stuff out in my life, I still fight and struggle with those things. And if it's possible for me to look at my children and find nothing petty, how much more can your Father in heaven look at your desires and find all of them delightful to hear? He will bend heaven and earth to satisfy your desires, friend, because he loves you, so ask him. The third reason I think we don't ask is because we think we'll be disappointed. Thank God my daughters don't do this yet. Praise the Lord that they ask for snow on Christmas day. Even if it isn't possible, I like knowing their heart. I like hearing their requests. I like knowing that on Christmas day, if it's not snowing, I probably need to comfort them. God of course can bring snow. So why don't you ask him? He can do impossible things. And who knows what will happen unless you ask. There are times God might say no, friends. There are times. Remember that our Lord himself heard no in the Garden of Gethsemane from the Father. Worse, he received silence in response to his prayer on the cross. Will every request that you make of God be answered in just the way that you want? Most assuredly, the answer is no. And the possibilities for why are so manifold. Like one of my favorite passages or examples of this, uh, are like the possibilities of how we could experience the answer to prayer it comes from Daniel chapter 10. Don't go there right now because you'll be lost for a long time, but, um, but maybe note it down. I keep thinking about maybe doing a podcast episode on this, but it's one of my favorite examples um, because at one point Daniel prays and the Lord immediately responds but because God does so much of his work through creation, this angel shows up three weeks late because of some spiritual battle occurring in Persia. L literally, it's Daniel 10, right? That's what happened. 
So Daniel prays, and why does he get no answer? God, why aren't you listening to me? Do you not want me to have what I'm asking for? Whatever, the angel shows up and says, literally, as soon as you asked, God responded, I just got stuck in like a spiritual traffic jam kind of thing in, in Persia, you know what I mean? So like, at least in Daniel's case, the reason why he didn't receive an answer to prayer immediately is because there was stuff going down in Persia. That's the lesson. And I don't know if you ask exactly how God will answer or how things in heaven and on earth will, will impact the response you get. Maybe the reason you don't have a boyfriend or girlfriend yet is because stuff's going down in Persia. That's what I'm saying. I don't know. I want you to listen to this. I brought, uh, there's an excerpt from this, one of my favorite books, The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. I want to read this to you. This, this little subsection is called On Not Getting What We Ask For. Listen to this. The request, while powerful, does not always get us what we have in mind as we make it. This is true when it's addressed to other human beings, and it's true when it's addressed to God as prayer. And that is entirely appropriate. It is a great advantage of requesting and prayer that it not be a fail-safe mechanism. For human finitude means that we are all limited in knowledge, in power, in love, and in powers of communication, yet we must act. We must go on, even disregarding ill will. It's a small wonder that we do not, and often cannot, grant or be given what is requested of us or by us. We don't know enough, and our desires are not perfect enough for us safely to be given everything we want or ask for. It is as simple as that. C.S. Lewis gives us a lovely picture of how sane this is as we pray to God. C.S. Lewis says, prayers are not always granted. This is not because prayer is a weaker kind of causality, but because it's a stronger kind. When it works at all, it works unlimited by space and time. That is why God has retained a discretionary power of granting or refusing our prayers. Except on the condition prayer would destroy us. Except on that condition, prayer would destroy us. It is not unreasonable for a headmaster to say, such and such things you may do according to the fixed rules of the school, but such and such other things are too dangerous to be left to general rules. If you want to do them, you must come and make a request and talk over the whole matter with me in my study, and then we'll see. I do not know what will happen when you pray, except that the Lord of all creation wants you to do so. He wants to hear your requests. He wants you to seek and ask and knock and to trust that the Father in heaven delights to give you good gifts. And if what comes to mind is the possibilities of your prayers not being answered or of the problems that could ensue if your prayers were answered, I just want to tell you this. In our passage of scripture, in this very sermon, in the very words of Jesus, he doesn't seem bothered at all by the possibility of you not getting what you pray for at all. He doesn't qualify his invitation. He doesn't even get a little defensive about it. As a matter of fact, if you look at the text, after he says, ask a bunch of times, he then says, everyone who asks receives. Like he, if you think, but really, he doubles down. Ask, ask, ask. Like more than 10 different ways he says ask in three verses. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Our problem isn't that prayers are going unanswered. It's that prayers are going unprayed. We don't ask, we don't seek, we don't knock. The way that your faith is demonstrated most powerfully, friends, 
isn't in the fact that you know everything, or that you have no doubts, or that no, you don't have any questions or difficulties or sufferings. The way that your faith is demonstrated most powerfully is in your faith that there is a Father in heaven who cares for you. And the way you express that faith is by asking. So ask and receive, seek and find, knock and come inside. Here's an idea for you tonight as we close. I know it's not Christmas season yet, right? But my girls have these, have already made these lists, right? I want you to consider making a Christmas list. I want you to write down all of the things that you want God to give you for Christmas. I don't know what God's gonna do. I have no idea what God's gonna do. Uh, I'm gonna do this too, right? Like we said, he reserves a degree of sovereignty and power in this because we don't often ask for things which are really that good for us or for others. Because God doesn't just, and this is really important to hear, because God doesn't just automatically grant us all of our prayer requests, we don't ever have to be afraid of asking for the wrong thing. Just make your requests known to God. So tonight, I want to encourage you to make a Christmas list before you go to bed. I want you to ask, and then I want you to keep on asking, and keep on asking, and keep on asking. And if you read the gospel accounts, you'll know why I'm saying that, because Jesus says a lot about prayer. You have a Father in heaven who delights to give you good gifts, and he who is on the, it is he who is on the throne. He is over all things, and he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And may we find our hope in him. And Jesus seems to think that we would find our hope in him if we would only ask. So all those things in your head, all those things in your heart, friends, get them out, make requests. The kingdom of God is full of people who make requests, who make requests, who make requests, who surrender power and leverage their influence by asking, by asking, by asking, by asking. That's your invitation tonight.